You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. This is episode 190, and uh, I am Jason, and with me is my cousin and also good friend, Travis. Travis, thank you for joining us. You bet. Looking forward to it. So we, today, we're, we're going to talk about the law, God's law, and I think a good place to begin is to to read a passage from scripture on the law and just let the let the the word of God tell us some of the parameters about what the law of God is and what it's about. So this is from Romans 7. Romans 7 and this is the King James version. It says, "Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good." Was Then that which is good made death to me, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do not, for that which I do, I allow not for what I would, that I do not, but what I hate, that I do. If I then do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, for to will is present within me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would not do, for the for the good I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So uh, Travis, obviously there's a lot there, and that was in the King James Version, which I'm not used to reading, but (laughs) always good to to mix it up a little. Um, The the things that stand out are the goodness of the law. The -hmm. law is holy, it's righteous, it's good. Um, And yet, Many people today don't take that view. Why do you think that is the maybe majority opinion in the evangelical church today? Well, that's we'd probably have to go back a ways in history to answer it <laughs> fully. But I think the initial answer, the short answer, is uh, it it isn't anything new. It's a lie from Satan from the beginning, and it's about the character of God, because. The law is a reflection of his character. So to to downgrade, to denigrate, to uh, unhitch from the law, uh, or some people just throw out the whole Old Testament as a way of doing that, um, like Andy Stanley, mm-hmm. um, 
it, it's it's an attack on God's character. So that's why it's nothing new, and it'll it'll ne- never go away this side of the new heavens and the new earth. And it appeals to that very nature that Paul was talking about. It appeals to the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a mirage, of course, because it's not freedom. Freedom from God's law is not actually freedom. It's enslavement. We're all going to be enslaved to one law or the other. We're going to be enslaved to God's law, uh, which is an easy burden. Um, it's light. His yoke is light. Or we're going to be enslaved to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be an easy burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is a positive view, in, in especially in Psalm 19. I think of Psalm 19, Psalm 119, where the psalmist is is exulting in the law. The law is his hope. The law is his joy. Everything good. Um, he's he's pointing back to the law over and over. And and yet, I, I would say that probably one of those terms that's tossed out there, you would agree, I'm sure, legalism um, has to do with this. Uh, you, you tell people, um, well, we need to look back at the law of God. And, and immediately you hear this word, oh, well, we, we don't want to be legalists. We don't want to be um, bound to, uh, to the law. We don't want to be um, seeking justification by the law. I don't know that you hear that as often, but um, that's the idea. Is people are fearing legalism, supposedly, um, and yet Paul deals with legalism in Romans and Galatians and other places, and and in no way does he ever say, okay, so the law, it's it's now your enemy because of these distortions, because of this wrong use of the law. In fact, he says there is a right use of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if someone was to ask you, why would the law be given uh, to the nation of Israel in, in that particular context? Why Why is it that that is the the time in the redemptive historical uh, timeline. Why why would you think that the law is given there? That's a good question. So first, though, I was going to comment on legalism. Yeah. Whenever somebody says something like that, and it's good to say this really for for any any accusation someone makes mm-hmm. or truth claim is how did you come to the, that conclusion. Or why do you say that? Why do you say that's legalism? Uh, and we need to define it as Scripture does. And legalism defined by Scripture, defined by Jesus, is uh, a couple components. One is justification through your works. So it's saying, I'm going to be justified before God by what I do, and that requires me to make up my own law, of course, because that's what the Pharisees were doing. It's impossible for me to do this. So I'm going to make up 600 and some other things that I can do because I can't even do the original 10. Mm -hmm. So that's the other component to legalism. One is is justification. The other is it's man-made. It's never legalism to follow God's law. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the heart issue and the intent, but leaving that aside, it's not legalism to follow God's law. That's not what Jesus was was uh, refuting. As far as the giving of the law at Sinai to Israel, probably the most important aspect to talk about 
in relation to that is that it immediately followed the exodus, the deliverance, the redemption. Mm-hmm. That's why the, the first command, it, it, the Ten Commandments doesn't start with immediately with the command. It, it starts with, I am Yahweh your God who delivered you from Egypt out of the land of slavery. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. You are my people. Um, I'm your God. You are my people. Now that I've delivered you, here is how you are to live in response to my deliverance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just the fact that in Galatians, for example, we see that the law is talked about and it, it tells us how the law relates to the promise, the promise of the gospel. Um, you know, Abraham was not justified by works. It's very clear. He was justified by faith. He's the first person who's really um, given that description. He was declared righteous through belief, in, in, and he was looking forward to the promise. And uh, But then it says the law in Galatians, the law came 430 years later, and that law didn't uh, overthrow the promise that came before it. So, in other words, the inheritance doesn't come by the law. Now, what I think is interesting is some of the things that Paul says, it's very different from what his Jewish contemporaries were saying. For instance, there's, there's a fairly well-known uh, Jewish line that talks about the, the goodness of just having more laws. And it, it's, it's in the, uh, the Talmud where they'd say, the more laws means more life. And, and, and one could say, well, hang on a second. Here in, in Romans 7, Paul is very clear the law is holy and righteous and good, but because of sin, the law actually puts us to death. And, and there's something very profound about that, that what is holy and righteous and good has been co-opted by our sin nature, by our flesh. And, and he says, uh, what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means? Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet unless it had said, you shall not covet. And, you know, I think that's, that's, that's a, very important. We should talk about this. Very important uh, purpose of the law is it reveals sin to the sinner. Um, we will live in self-deception and self-delusion and tell ourselves we are righteous and we are good. But then the law confronts us. It's, it's that mirror that, that shows us who we really are and what our condition is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Calvin talked about the three uses of the law, and one of them is and Luther also talked about it and others, but um, to confront the sinner with their sin. Uh, the the good news is not good news without bad news first. And, and the bad news is there is a law, there's a lawgiver, and the law is absolutely inflexible and unyielding. There is no curve, uh, grading on a curve. There are no exceptions. Um, we read... A number of places in scripture that God will by no means clear the guilty. That's the dilemma. Paul Washer calls it the great dilemma of scripture that everybody has to face. He will not clear the guilty. So the law is an impossibly high standard. And that should be the conclusion that we come to. 
Anybody that says that they live by the Sermon on the Mount either has not read it, doesn't understand it, or is in complete denial. Mm -hmm. Because after reading the Sermon on the Mount, all of us should say, that is completely impossible. Mm -hmm. I have not followed that. Most of the times, even before I get out of bed, I've broken uh, the law, Mm -hmm. as Jesus explains it. So the law should make us, it appeals to our conscience, that's the law written on our hearts, and should make us throw us on the mercy of the court. Mm-hmm. And and that means uh, coming to Christ for mercy. Mm-hmm. And he loves to give mercy. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting because in Romans 2, Paul says, for it's, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified, declared in the right, declared righteous before God. So if you do the law, I mean, that's the standard. If you perfectly keep the law, then you are righteous before God. Uh, and we we would have to say, by God's holy nature, by his righteous standard, uh, that is the only way to have fellowship with him. That is the only way to come into a relationship with him is that the law must be kept perfectly. Mm-hmm. And as you said, no grading on a curve. Uh, there is no um, mulligans or, uh, you know, there's there, there's no uh, trying over or doing over when it comes to the law of God. And and that's a huge part of the argument of Romans 3. He, he brings in the law so much uh, because he wants us to see that when it comes to justification, when it comes to being right before God, the, the works of the law will not help us. They, they show us our sin. They show us how desperate we are. But uh, there's no hope in keeping the law and, and being justified. What's another purpose of the law? Uh, another purpose of the law, again, this is, this is Calvin, um, is uh, there's probably one that would make sense to talk about uh, next. Is it's, it's a rule of life for the believer. So this is largely in in mainstream American evangelicalism. At best, it's largely ignored. At worst, it's actually um, refuted or uh, thought of or taught as a bad thing to talk about the law um, as a rule of life for the believer. And uh, that's completely wrong, completely backwards. So then you have people saying all kinds of um, things like um, she she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. She's just not uh, following him right now while she's living with her boyfriend. Um, or you hear people talk a lot about uh, we're not under law, we're under grace, uh, whatever that means. I guess that would be a good question. What do you mean by that? <laughs> um, and we're just we're just under uh, the law of, of love, or we're just loving God and loving neighbor. That's it. We don't need any other law because that's how Jesus summed it up. So that's all we're doing. And anybody with kids recognizes that is ridiculous right off. Um, because that's what we are, mm-hmm. uh, compared to God. And, uh, so to tell, if I were to tell my, my five-year-old, look, we only have one rule in this house. Okay, or, or in two parts, you love God and you love everybody else. Mm. That's it. That's all we're ever going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna. He, he's going to be in prison by the time he's eighteen. Uh, 
we need specifics. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. why God gives us specifics. Right. We're too immature and self-deceived. Mm-hmm. So the person that says, oh, it's just a lot of love, loving God, love your neighbor. Well, instantly then, okay, so how about um, me as a man uh, having sex with another man? Mm-hmm. Now, immediately we're going to either have to go to God's word or we're going to go to the culture or what I think or feel or something like that. Yeah. And this is so important because yeah, not under law, but under grace. Uh, and to be clear, we both recognize this. This is a statement in Romans, Mm -hmm. but when Paul says you are not under law in that very context, he's talking about, you're not under the dominion of sin. Mm -hmm. If you're under law in that context, He's not saying, oh, you, you throw off the law of God and, you know, <laughs> be free, live, live however uh, your, your cravings uh, tell you to live. No, the, the point is to be under law means that you're under the law's condemnation still because you are still in your sin. You're still ruled by the flesh. And, and to be brought from death to life means you're under grace. That means you now have the righteousness of Christ through faith, faith is the channel of, of union with Christ, his righteousness now credited over to your account. Mm-hmm. You have eternal life. So yes, you're under grace. Um, but obviously, this gets quickly turned around. And this is actually something that, you know, when you interact with um, with really uh, the, the truly legalistic, uh, I would say they're cults, primarily uh, would take this position, but they would say, now, hang on a second. If we are justified through faith alone in Christ alone, then that would mean we can live whatever way we want. And, and maybe they have good reason to think that uh, evangelicals believe that because of what they see. Um, But, but what would be just maybe a, a brief response to the person who says grace alone, no works. That means yeah, you can, you can live uh, in in total sin because you're under grace. Well, a couple of things. First of all, we have to think, as Jeff Durbin says, think in categories. So Paul uses the law in different ways. So it it takes work to exegete and exposit the scripture, and that's why so many, <laughs> so many people refuse to do it, and and they just ignore it. So we have to understand the different categories he's talking about. And as far as uh, that charge of, um, well, unbridled sin, first of all, if we get that, if somebody accuses us of that, it probably means we're preaching the gospel clearly because mm-hmm. that's what they accuse Paul of. That's right. right? So uh, if somebody says, well, it sounds like you're saying we, should, we can do whatever we want. Um, well, yeah, that's exactly right. And what we want to do now is we want to follow God's law. So we, we have to understand, yes, Scripture does say from beginning to end that uh, they there's a sense that we are judged and will be judged by our works, and that is the fruit of having a new heart, of being born again, of being regenerated, where God takes an enemy and makes him a friend, someone that hates him and hates his law and makes him love his law. Not perfectly, we're not... We're not going into the holiness doctrine where we're achieving that ahead of time. Um, But that's the bent. That's the direction uh, that we, that's our habit, our pattern of our life is in that direction. So 
if if we are saved, then can we sin um, and, and live as we did before? Well, no, it's impossible because Scripture teaches that in in what we call the the golden chain, right? In Romans eight, it's it's inevitable, right? So whoever he saves, he's going to sanctify. They are going to be glorified. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for them not to be. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give us license. That doesn't read Paul's words about striving and Peter talking about making your calling and election sure and examining yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not complacency. It's the same as loving your wife. I don't think, well, we're married. It's till death to his part, so... I'm just uh, going to coast and I don't really need to tell her I love her or, or cherish her or anything like that. We call that being a, a, a bad husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and yes, a believer could do that for a time. King David obviously would be a, an example and all of us have areas. But, mm-hmm. um, but clearly, if somebody is even saying that, if they're saying, if we were to confront somebody and say, hey, now you claim to be a Christian, yes. Uh, you're looking at porn every day. Yep. Do you have a problem with that? No, not really. Something's really wrong mm-hmm. there because God disciplines his own. That person should not have assurance that they are saved. Mm-hmm. They should um, be examining themselves and they should be repenting. So a, a believer, someone who's who is regenerated, they can't mm-hmm. continue to live like that. David, you read uh, Psalm 51 during that time, he was tortured. Mm-hmm. that's a believer that's living however they want, if you want to put it like that. Right. Um, and it, it can't be for a really long time because they're going to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why it's so important, as we talked about, the law being shown to the sinner um, because we need to awaken the conscience. That's God's tool. It's the key that opens up the heart and and shows it to be that vile, wicked thing that it is. This is what the Bible describes the human heart that's fallen in sin. It's it's self-deceived. And and so again, you have false converts when uh when people have not been confronted with the law's demand and Jesus hasn't really become their savior from sin. He's he's not their Lord, he's he's their buddy who's who's there to help them out when they're in a tough spot and and to give them good advice when they need it, but, but then they can go back to their porn. Mm -hmm. Um, but we can't get that if we, we just consider now this is in the same context where Paul says, uh, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law led by the spirit, not under the law. But then he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Mm -hmm. So when something's evident, you can see it. It's, it's there. It's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality are the first things listed. Um, we could go on from there, but to show those things in somebody, that that is that is what Paul would then lead to saying, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he lists the fruit of the Spirit and saying, against such things there is no law. Uh, you, you, you live by the Spirit to obey the law. It, in fact, none of us can keep the law in any measure <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, without the Holy Spirit. And so when when people try to pit the law against the Spirit, they're really doing the opposite of what Paul's explaining here. Again, under the law 
means under the dominion of sin because law is condemning you. That's how you're under it. That's right. And you bring up um, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and there's been so much perversion and warping and twisting of um, the third person of the Trinity by the charismatic movement, uh, Pentecostal movement. And, and one of the questions we should ask ourselves is why is he the Holy Spirit? Uh, yes, we could say the Holy Father, the Holy Son, but normally we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. He, the Holy Spirit makes us holy positionally through regeneration, through justification, and he makes us holy through sanctification. That is his work. So the work of the Holy Spirit is uh, primarily now not for us to be going around, um, you know, throwing out cloths to people so they can be healed or, or, or babbling or something like that as some kind of evidence of God's power. Uh, the Holy Spirit is to show his power, the power of Christ in us and through us to live holy lives. That's the witness to the world. The witness to the world is not that we can, um, come into a town and, and have every, every crippled person in town and, and cancer patient and stuff come to our, our, um, our stadium and, and then we, we heal them supposedly. That's not the power of the Holy Spirit being demonstrated today after the canon has been closed. The power is through our lives where we're living holy lives and people say, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. That's what was happening with the reformers, the Puritans, everybody left in the early church. Everybody leaves town when there's a plague, except the Christians. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody's cheating on their wives, except the Christians. Everybody's slacking at work and not putting in a full day's work, except the Christians. Mm-hmm. And we have to start with the church. Yeah. Right? So we're talking about these, these, the, the purposes of the law. Um, what, what is something else that uh, maybe you wanted to touch on concerning the law? Um, yeah, I was, I was going to start just, uh, the, the third per, the third, uh, purpose Calvin talked about, this would probably be a whole nother subject, but it's, um, it, it's civil. And he said that the law restrains even the unregenerate. And part of that is, is God's restraint, of course. Um, but it's, it, it does restrain everybody to an extent. Um, even, even if they're not believers, I was going to just talk about the law even before Sinai. Uh, this is Genesis two fifteen to seventeen, um, not the King James. This is the uh, the ESV, the Elect Standard Version. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." And then uh, Galatians 3.10, that's related for, I think maybe you already read this, but I'll read it again. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So we could say that God issued the first law there in the garden and and also a penalty associated with it. Laws always have uh, penalties if you break them and even broader we would say covenants have blessings and curses. And um, as soon as Adam 
broke God's law. He was under God's curse. Mm -hmm. So even before God gave the law written on tablets of stone, Adam broke his law. He was under the curse. And we know from scripture that that curse has been passed on to every single person ever born, save one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and death, death is the evidence of that. that, Mm -hmm. You know, he said, you will surely die. Mm -hmm. And, Granted, he didn't physically die on that 24-hour day, but he did spiritually die. And and just like a branch that was cut off from the tree, uh, the death principle had already begun in him. He was dying. And really, in the Hebrew, the emphasis is dying, you shall, you shall die. That's the curse. Uh, that's, that's the wages of sin. It's death. And, and Paul talks about how in Galatians... You know, if there was a a law given that could give life, you know, the statement again was more laws, more life. If there was a law that could be given uh, that could uh, that could give us life, then then that would be uh, that would be our hope. We would put all our hope in that. But because of the curse, because we are under that curse, because we are fallen, we have no possibility of having life by keeping the law. And so that means we need a substitute, a a mediator who will keep that law for us perfectly. Mm -hmm. And and in in place of that, uh, he he takes the curse for us. As you were uh, just after what you read, he Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Again, the law is holy and good, but the curse of the law would be that judgment for breaking his law. And he redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Mm-hmm. Anything else you wanted to cover on uh, that topic? I was just thinking, you know, it's, it's important that we realize that everybody is religious. Mm-hmm. Everybody follows a law or laws. And so in, in, in our culture right now, we have uh, people that are seeking to justify themselves by following the law. They don't call it most people they don't say i'm 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 uh, following the law but what they do say is they say i'm doing good and that's usually shown by um by saying i'm tolerant i'm loving mm-hmm. um if you are if, if you're into guys uh, homosexuality or you want to change genders or well, that that's all great and that's that's my religion, and that's my law. The law is you you don't say that that's wrong. Yeah, to do that, that's right. the law. And if if you're white and you're male and you're heterosexual and you're a Christian or cisgender, um, then you're uh, you're a hater. You're bad, and um, I'm not. I'm you know I'm deconstructing or I'm uh, I'm going to to rehab to. Uh, repent of my whiteness and that kind of thing. So I'm good. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to get into heaven or I'm going to be reincarnated in something better or whatever it is. Cause I'm following, I'm following this religion uh, of our culture. Mm-hmm. It, it's a law. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And it's the irony is, well, you have a, a certain brand of relativism where, anything goes, there's also this incredible amount of self-righteousness and condemnation. Because if you violate 
uh, one of the social laws, we could call it a, it's a, it's a cultural law perhaps. Um, and if you, if you don't toe the line exactly, uh, then you are a violator of the law and you will be punished. And, and the curse of the, the curse of their law will come down on you, which is usually something like ostracism, uh, and slander and, that type of thing. But as you're pointing out, everybody has to live by a law. We need it. We, we are, we have God's law written on our heart. So we recognize that there is a standard. Uh, and, and that's, this is why Romans one, I love how it says there's no excuse. There's no excuse for anybody to say, Oh, I wasn't aware. I was not aware of God's law. You know, it says, it says you do the very things that you know, deserve death. And, and so what the law does is it's like the smelling salts where it wakes us up to what we actually already know. Mm-hmm. We've just suppressed it. We, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to live by it. But the law shows us this is what it's really like. This is who you are. And this is how desperate your situation is. That's right. And so we have to ask ourselves if the Joel Osteens and pretty much once in a while, I, I look at the top 200 uh, in the religion category on podca- on uh, the podcast. And it's interesting. And, and you're hard-pressed to find, I don't know if I could find more than a dozen uh, that are actually preaching the truth. Mm-hmm. They're actually teaching. And, and, um, and you, you take those guys and you'd be hard-pressed to find them talking about the law ever or sin. So what do you have when you have people that are, quote, Christians, when they've never confronted the law, when they've never, uh, when they've never repented, when, they've never, that, when that's not even a part of their lives? Well, <laughs> what you have is you have the State of Theology survey that Ligonier does every couple of years, and you look at the results of that, and these aren't just your average person you walk up to on the street. These are professing Christians. And it's not good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clear that that these people, they don't understand Scripture, and they don't, they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Because we live according to what we believe. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we can't do otherwise. And so when you're not confronted with the law... Um, unfortunately, most of those people that think they are entering the kingdom, uh, Ray Comfort calls it hell's best kept secret. Mm -hmm. No repentance, no salvation. Well, in in Joel Osteen's message, you can call it the self-help brand of Christianity or self-help brand of evangelicalism. It is is a law that says, um, no, you're you're good enough. You you just got to believe in yourself. You can do it, right? And it's actually, it, people love to hear that because we love to have our, our, our ego stroked. We love to have our, our flesh um, puffed up. But what that does ultimately is it says that you don't need Jesus because why have Jesus? I mean, he's, he's your, maybe your, uh, he's cheering you on from the sidelines perhaps. But the Joel Osteen message literally is a works righteousness message. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about you can do it, and and though it, it comes with a smile and it comes with a uh, you know a, a good vibe on the one hand, 
it's it's very deceptive and it's very destructive because it never confronts people in their sin. Uh, it just encourages that self-centered thinking, which is at the heart of all sin. Mm, that's right. And, you know, I don't know if this was your thinking growing up, but I, I remember thinking, okay, there's, there, there's Satan worshipers out there. They're bad. You know, the people that listen to Kiss and stuff. And, and that's bad. And I think there's still that idea. And, and that's, um, you know, Satan is deceptive. Mm-hmm. Sin is deceptive. And he loves to work within the visible church. Um, that's where he does his, his, most of his damage. Uh, that's what Jesus was confronting. So, um, you know, if, if we're to walk around to people again on the street and, and say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, most people are going to say that that's great. Cause I love myself too. Mm-hmm. And I have a wonderful plan for my life too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. That's mm-hmm. not confronting people with the law. So that message, uh, you know, and someone might accuse people of, um, maybe they would, this would be a caricature of Puritans or maybe, um, reformers, the reform tradition would be, uh, you guys talk about the law too much, or you talk too much about repentance or too much about sin. Um, I don't really think that's where we're at in our country. I don't, I don't think we're going to run into people that are just, um, God could never forgive me. I'm too much of a worm. Um, no, that's not the overwhelming problem. The problem is people don't understand God's holiness and they're grading themselves by themselves and Hitler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we are out of time, but I think it's just so important to see the connection between this and the fear of God, which mm-hmm. the Bible says is the beginning of all wisdom. It, it's, it is the, the knowledge that we have offended a holy God. That's what the law tells us. It's, it, it tells us the standard and it says you haven't met the standard. You are not righteous. You're not okay. Uh, the contemporary theologians or preachers may say, you're okay, Keep you do you. But the Bible says that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It says that the law stops our mouths because we have no no justification, nothing to point to in ourselves. But the good news, and this is this is what we also need to hear, there is a righteousness apart from the law. The righteousness of God, which is a gift, that is something that we can never earn. It is simply by grace. It's when we repent of our sin and we cling to Christ as our only hope. And his righteousness becomes our righteousness. We are robed in his righteousness. And so that on the day of judgment, we won't say... God let me in because of my keeping the law, we will know we have no hope in ourselves. Our only hope is Jesus Christ because he perfectly kept the law in our place. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. 
and we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together. <laughs>